Um, <laughs> welcome everyone. I'm trying to get rid of the echo here. Please. This podcast is offered by Jokoji Zen Center on the web at jokoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Hi, yes, welcome to Jokoji. Um, our speaker today is Cynthia Keir, who is the guiding teacher of Great Spirit Sangha and a good friend of Jokoji's. Cynthia and Great Spirit have held many sessions, sorry, sessions at Jokoji many times over the years and would have been with us this weekend had the pandemic permitted, um, but we're happy that Cynthia could join us today for today's talk, which was planned many months ago. And it's really good to see so many people from Great Spirit joining us. Welcome back. Um, very briefly, Cynthia has been practicing Soto Zen Buddhism for over 34 years. Um, she was ordained as a priest and given Dharma transmission by Darlene Cohen. She has taught mindfulness and multitasking as part of National Science Foundation Research Project and is also the senior teacher for San Francisco Zen Center's affinity group, Meditation in Recovery. And with that, I'm very happy to welcome back to Jikoji, Ryotan, Cynthia. Thank you, uh, Nico, and thank you, Jokoji, for uh, inviting us back and inviting me to uh, speak. Um, this is our third uh, Sashin, where we're doing it as a shelter in place. And it is so weird and different. <laughs> I'm grateful for Zoom, and yet it just strikes me at times, how bizarre, how bizarre. And we miss Jokoji. Uh, for about a decade, we've been doing our Sashins twice a year there. And we so appreciate your community, your setting, your beautiful Zendo. So we look forward to hopefully getting back, maybe even this year, we shall see. But anyway, and good morning to Jokoji Sangha. Good morning again to Great Spirit Sangha. So um, for this practice period, uh, we're concluding our session today, and we've been studying Dogen's um, instructions to the, the cook, to the Tenzo. So let me just ask a show of hands, how many people here are familiar with that text or uh, with Dogen? Some, some, okay. So Dogen is the, the founder of our Soto Zen lineage and um, he lived in medieval Japan from 1200 to 1252. I'm not gonna go into his biography, he was a very, uh, dedicated and fierce practitioner. And um, he also uh, spent an enormous amount of time um, uh, writing and trying to uh, teach through his writings, most notably his collection of fascicles, the Shobo Genzo is a, um, the, probably the best read compilation of his, of his writings. And, um, he wrote in um, medieval Japan, but unlike the, um, the people at the time uh, where the habit was to write in um, Chinese, kind of like people writing in Latin for uh, Christian tra traditions and Catholic lineages, uh, Dogen actually wrote in um, uh, the Japanese of the time which indicates to me that he had a very, very strong urge to communicate directly with people, uh, with the people of his times. And he wanted to communicate directly with us. And uh, sometimes we have to navigate through that medieval Japanese um, spirit, everything that was part of the times in order to, um, to get his message. Um, I am, uh, by way of stipulation, very strong stipulation, I am so not a scholar of Dogen. Uh, there are many people who are scholars of Dogen. Uh, Taigen Layton in our lineage is perhaps one of the best known, Kaz Tanahashi, more locally from uh, Santa Cruz, Shinshu Roberts. Uh, but I am a dedicated uh, student of uh, Dogen's and I am extremely appreciative 
of him and his effort to um, offer the Dharma to us through his, through his teachings and through his practice. Um, many people find uh, Dogen obscure and difficult, uh, a little woo-woo, um, and, and perhaps he's all of these things. Uh, but the reality for me is that he has, over the years of my time in practice, and particularly since my, my own heart teacher died in 2011, he has become both a good fellow practitioner, friend, and a uh, teacher of great import. Um, after my teacher died uh, in 2011, early 2011, and I had been transmitted for all of a whole month, um, which, which is a little bit, uh, when this happens to you, um, in the context of uh, practice and sanghas, it can be, it can be a little challenging. Um, people are full of grief, people are full of all kinds of ideas. Uh, and uh, let's just say I was practicing in the middle of the fire during this, uh, during the first year or so after Darlene died. And, um, I felt like I had really had to turn to someone. So Dogen being our founder is who I turned to. And I was um, shortly uh, after Darlene died, she died in January and February. I, no, I'm sorry, in April, I took a trip to Africa. And that was such a metaphor for how I was feeling. Um, rather uh, alien, uh, foreigner, uh, the landscape of my life was radically uh, transformed by virtue of this great gift that Darlene had been had given to me. Uh, but I was feeling uh, a little out of place, shall we say, and a little bit like a, a foreigner and an alien. And I remember um, sitting on the, uh, uh, the porch of a, of a hut where I was staying in Africa by the Zambezi River, reading Dogen and um, at other points during this trip, and suddenly just feeling so met, so encouraged, so inspired. So I have stuck with Dogen, despite the fact that I will not tell you that I understand everything that he says. I'm not a stu student of koans and he uh, presents many koans, which are always turn out to be great learning experiences for me. Some of his language and his uh, metaphors are outdated, geographically incorrect, scientifically incorrect, but the morrow, the essence of his teachings remains very vital and very much alive and very pertinent to our practice here in the United States or wherever else you might be uh, zooming in from in um, 2021. So the, the, the teaching of the, um, and, and what I wanted to, to convey um, to everyone this morning, the benefit that I have felt um, in reading Dogen is that he really helps us to dismantle our ideas of what a Zen practitioner is and what Zen practicing should be, right? And again, with the caveat that I am not a, uh, a scholar, but this is my own sincere practice. In the instructions to the cook or the Tenzo, um, Dogen um, is doing a couple of things that are extremely heartwarming to me. Um, he had arrived, he was a very um, precocious practitioner, very intelligent, very dedicated. He was ordained when he was like 11 or 12 uh, and uh, just sincerely practiced. But he had this nagging question, which is, if we already have Buddha nature, why do we have to continue to practice? which he found the answer to with his teacher in China, Ru Jing. But he goes to China, he goes, he works with all these teachers. He really makes great effort to try and find the answer to his question. So much so that he goes to China, which at that point in time was considered the place for Soto Zen. And um, for various reasons, he is not allowed on the boat. Kind of like us in COVID, he's a little quarantined. <laughs> And yet it is during this time that he has one of his greatest lessons in his life that absolutely causes his idea of practice to be dismantled and to pivot. So while he is on the boat, an old Tenzo 
old, by the way, being somebody who by this point in time is actually younger than I am currently, but anyway, an old Tenzo, comes to the, uh, the, the, the boat into the dock to buy mushrooms. And this, uh, this Tenzo is probably about 62 or something like that. And Dogen meets him and he is totally shocked. Here is this uh, um, venerable practitioner who has been practicing for decades. And he has walked 12 miles in order to uh, come to the dock to secure, to select mushrooms for the um, monastery's meal the next day. Mushrooms that he hand inspects and uh, hand selects, right? And he is about to go back and walk 12 miles back to the monastery and then in order to uh, prepare this meal. And Dogen says to him pretty much, I'm going to not quote him uh, precisely, old man, venerable practitioner, why are you doing this? Why have you walked so far? Why are you spending your time doing this? Why are you not sitting zazen and reading fascicles and studying the sutras? And the uh, Tenzo says to him, I have taken this position in my old age this is the fulfillment, this is the fulfillment of many years of practice. How can I delegate my responsibility to others? And again, he asks the Tenzo, Honorable Tenzo, why don't you concentrate on Zazen practice and on the study of the ancient master's words rather than troubling yourself by holding the position of Tenzo and just working? Is there anything good about it? And the Tenzo laughs and replies. Actually, he laughs a lot, according to this uh, translation. Good man from a foreign country, you do not yet understand practice or know the meaning of the words of the ancient masters. So the old Tenzo, with this retort, takes him down many pegs. But this is also what I love about Dogen. On the, the next sentence, he says, Hearing him respond this way, I suddenly felt ashamed and surprised. I think that this teaching is so meaningful to me because one Dogen, who is this venerated um, uh, uh, figure in, in all of Buddhism and especially in Soto Zen, is so vulnerable with us so honest that he shows us, I have all these ideas. If you really want to practice, hey, you should be doing lots of zazen and you should be studying the masters and the sutras. Get to know them. Chapter and verse, word by word. And the Tenzo, and this is, by the way, a, a uh, extremely exalted position in the monasteries of Japan, uh, of China at the time. Only the most sincere and most respected practitioners are put in the position of the Tenzo. So it's not like our idea of a cook or short order cook or a institutional cook. This is an important position. And the Tenzo just says, you know, you don't get it. You don't get it at all. Dogen in that moment gets it. And he's, he has the opportunity uh, later on to meet another Tenzo who is working out in the middle of the day in the hot, hot sun. Uh, and he says to um, him kind of the same thing. Um, he says, how long have you been a monk? And the Tenzo asks, answers, 68 years. Why don't you get a helper to do this? And the Tenzo says to him, others are not myself. Reverend Sir, Dogen says, you follow regulations exactly, but as the sun is so hot, why do you do this? So why do you work so hard at this? Until when should I wait, the Tenzo says. So what Dogen gets, and he's about, I think he's about 22 or 23 when he goes to uh, China, is that his ideas of practice 
are missing the mark. That the practice is exactly what our, our practice and what his practice should be is exactly what the practice of the Tenzo is. To do what is right in before us. To do what it is that we are assigned to do what it is that is the substance, the essence of our own life. When I first came to practice and for many years and now in the position as a teacher, I see this um, same instinct replicated that I had in so many other people. We have this idea that practice is someplace far away and we'll get there when we know all the sutras, when we memorize all of the chants, when we know exactly where and when to bow in service. Um, or we think that practice can only happen at venerable institutions like Chikoji or San Francisco Zen Center or Gringolch or Tassajara, right? We have this very strong embedded idea that practice is elsewhere, practice is not us, practice is not our life. But what Dogen is saying is exactly the opposite. This moment is our practice. We are the true practitioners. Now is the time to practice. And what we are practicing with, with in our lives is exactly our practice. Dysfunctional corporate systems you might work in, troubled families, difficult health news for yourself or for a friend, challenging relationships, COVID fatigue, all of this is truly, truly what our practice is all about. These are the ingredients of our practice. And we need to be reminded that practice is not elsewhere. A practitioner is anyone but us. The perfect time to practice is any other time but now. There's a certain urgency attached to this in addition to the clarity with which Dogen presents this. Now, don't delay, don't delay. The instructions for the cook turns out to be a metaphor for all of us practitioners in terms of how to cook this precious meal of our lives the supreme meal. And we cook it with great diligence, with a certain fierceness. We take it that seriously, all the moments of our lives, and we, we pay attention. Dogen says, in the art of cooking, the the essential consideration is to have a deeply sincere and respectful mind, regardless of the fineness or coarseness of the materials. A refined cream soup is not necessarily better than a broth of wild grasses. Again and again, he makes this point. We don't, we don't pay attention or wish for other ingredients than what we have. We don't wait until we have the rakasu and the robe. Those are the ingredients that will make my practice perfect and more, um, more authentic. No, we work with what we have right now. Whatever those ingredients are, whether we like them or we don't like them. And he talks about washing the rice and how the Tenzos wash the rice. And in washing the rice, there's sand in the rice, things that we may not value may not be as pleasant, things that are challenging to us. And there's the rice. And we wash them both at the same time. So many of us, myself included, want to separate, push away that which is difficult. We want the, 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 the path that unfolds before us to be perfect, or we want to make it somehow seem worthy. But what Dogen is telling us is everything, 
Everything has Buddha nature, everything is worthy, and we work with the ingredients that we have. If we are heartbroken, that's what we work with. If we are joyful, that's what we work with. If we have difficult family members who don't see us or with whom we feel our relationships are changing, that's what we work with. If our knees are getting cranky and grouchy as we age and sit sashin, that's what we work with, right? If Dogen were to be teaching or writing this today, I know the spirit of all of this is kind of chop wood, carry water. Pay attention, do what it is that you're doing and doing it wholeheartedly. This, this meeting of the Tenzo and him coming to understand and value and get where these Tenzos are coming from completely changed his perspective of what practice was. And so he cultivates out of this his whole um, uh, methodology, which is that if we are practicing, we are sincerely, wholeheartedly with what it is that we are doing, then we are in the very process, in the heart of realization. And as such, that is enlightenment, to be that radically present. Yesterday, um, our uh, dear Dharma brother talked about the ministry of spiritual presence. Dogen saying the same thing. So we kind of uh, synthesize this, this these days. You hear it as chop wood, carry water, making our practice very simple, making it very essential. But even chop wood, carry water doesn't really apply to me living in San Francisco in 2021. So I think Dogen would say something more like, shop at Safeway mindfully, drive your car with loving attention, be skillful in the midst of your dysfunctional corporate setting or work family. Practice wholeheartedly and diligently what it is like to be in a global pandemic. Always, always, it is the circumstances of our life right now, as they are, that is the very, that are the very ingredients of our, of our practice. And there's a way in which it takes a time to come to trust this. But that is what my practice is. My practice is having three girls and watching my concern for them and the decisions that they make and the relationships they get into and the financial decisions they make. That's my, my part of my practice, right? Seems foreign from, from a Zen uh, monk, but that's it. That's what it really is. I wanted to just take a moment to um, uh, share a couple of other um, places where Dogen in different fascicles uh, underscores some of these points. In one of my favorite um, fascicles called um, Gyobutsu Butsu Iji, which uh, is translated in the version I use that, um, uh, as on the everyday behavior of a Buddha doing her practice. Uh, Kaz Tanahashi calls it the awesome presence of Buddhas, which is also a very nice title. Uh, Dogen writes, all Buddhas without exception make full use of their everyday behavior for their life, for their practice. This is what is meant by a Buddha doing his or her practice. A Buddha doing his or her practice does not refer to a Buddha's realizing enlightenment or to a Buddha transforming him or herself for the sake of helping others. Becoming proficient in one's daily conduct while on the path toward Buddhahood is what is meant by a Buddha doing his or her practice. So all of our conduct, once again, everything that is included in our lives our lives as they unfold. Right now, 2021, the United States global pandemic, right now, that is what is a Buddha doing their practice. 
And then he very sweetly talks about and shares how he was very deluded and um, had different concepts of what practice was, which I've already articulated. And he talks about these and, and describes them as tying himself up without a rope, that it was a fetter at every moment of his practice. And it was simply my passing through life while meaninglessly imprisoned in a cave of ignorance at the periphery of Buddhism. So when he had all these ideas as to, it's all just sitting zazen and becoming very erudite in the practice, in the study of, of sutras, none of which he, he is demeaning nor um, throwing away. I wanna be very clear about that. But such a limited view is not where he's, where he's at. Um, all of this, he says, is, was his own imprisoning himself in a cave while at the very periphery of Buddhism. Buddhism was everywhere. Buddha nature was everywhere. But because of his ideas about what he thought practice was, he was in this cave, right? His cave, this cave of his own doing. I find that incredibly um, vulnerable uh, and once again, very self-disclosive in a way that is really helpful to me and helpful and encouraging. Oh, here is this great master. He's just like me. I have done this time and time again. I'm not good enough because I don't remember exactly where to bow. I don't have all the chants memorized. That's not it. That's not the point. So um, I want to uh, save time for questions. So let me just look at my uh, notes here and see if there's anything else that I wanted to share. Oh, uh, there is one other um, important point. Uh, my dear Dharma sister Janice and I are studying a book by Kim called uh, Dogen, the Mystical Realist. And um, in this, um, he very clearly articulates one of Dogen's key teachings, particularly found in the Tenzo, which is that as we look at our practice, in fact, as we look at our lives, um, it is not about superiority and inferiority. It's not about having a great practice that's really terrific or a lousy practice that's awful. It's about authenticity. That is such an important um, uh, way to approach our practice. Are we authentically being with, in as upright a way as possible, informed as much as possible by our attention and our intention to be skillfully with whatever is with us? This practice is really about coming into a relationship, an authentic relationship, a truly authentic relationship as devoid of our delusions as is possible with our authentic self, with life on life's terms, with as Suzuki Roshi famously said, uh, things just as they are, right? So if you ever find yourself questioning and maybe hear a critical voice saying, I'm not doing it right, I'm doing it all wrong, so-and-so is so much better than me, just, Keep that word at your uh, fingertips, authenticity. That is really it. That is how we come radically into connection with ourselves, with our lives, with all of Buddha nature. Um, so I invite you all to think about um, a little bit of what I've said. Go to the, uh, the original source, better yet, and um, this metaphor of, uh, that Dogen presents in the Tenzo of using the ingredients and cooking our lives is really quite a beautiful invitation. And just to reflect, what are the ingredients that I truly have in my life that I have to work with? And how can I, to the best of my ability in this moment right now, make it the best meal that possibly can be given fully accepting all the ingredients that are presented to us and that unfold in our lives.
So I think with that, I will stop and entertain any questions or comments. And as uh, people in my sangha know, if there's too much silence, I will jump in. So please <laughs> take advantage. So there are the little reaction buttons and also just wave your hand or feel free to unmute yourself. Pamela? Yes. Then sign. Thank you so much for this wonderful, encouraging talk. And I find in my practice that I often am considering washing the rice and the sand together, considering who decided the sand was not good and who decided the rice was good and who is it that's washing this rice? I mean, it really comes to me like that, like, who says this is the way it is all the time? And like they're in the rice and the sand really are together. And I mean, that's my life, that's my practice. So I appreciate you kind of um, reminding me. <laughs> exactly right. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah I I was just wondering, um, you kind of positioned yourself as a practitioner of, uh, or a student of Dogen and, and um, not an academic, but I'm just kind of wondering what an academic could put any clearer or deeper. <laughs> I don't know, it just kind of, uh, um, it, it, you know, it, you know, I've been around, well, I've gone to school a lot. So, I, you know, I don't know, academics are academics, but, uh, and some of them are great. And uh, I don't I, I don't know what my question is, but it's, uh, you know, if I wanted to understand Dogen better, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> would an academic help? <laughs> well, that is, that is very, very kind of you. Um, I don't want to be irreverent, but uh, to academics, but uh, that was, uh, uh, I don't want to get it too confusing up here. <laughs> uh well, again, there's no inferiority nor superiority. There's just authenticity. So what you have, what I have served up for you today, this dish of Dogen is just my authentic understanding with great apologies <laughs> for any academic errors or uh, ways in which I might be misleading. But thank you very much, Randy, that's kind. It, it was very clear what you said. So I, I like what you said. Great, thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Peter from Santa Cruz. And uh, although I've been around Jacoji since it started, Cynthia, I'm not sure I, I was up there for many of the sashins that you led there. Uh, but I uh, appreciate very much your, your words. They, re, they uh, or your interpretation of Dogen's words in your non-academic way. Uh, that's the way I found Coben, our, my teacher. Mm -hmm. he, he didn't encourage us uh, to read the sutras and, and study the classics and traditions. He encouraged us to practice in our, our daily lives. Uh, and at that time, many of us were youngsters raising our children and that he pointed out to us, we can't be in the Zendo very much. We need to be with our families. And uh, uh, so I, I wanted to, since we're at Jokoji today, uh, virtually, uh, I wanted to bring uh, mm. Coben's presence here. And I, uh, the similarities of uh, your um, interpretation of uh, your teachers in San Francisco and Darlene with uh, what Coben brought with him to San Francisco uh, via uh, Suzuki Roshi and, and then to, uh, to Jikoji. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for this reiteration of, of my wonderful teacher. <laughs> 
thank you, Peter. I'm sorry I didn't know Copen uh, or didn't have a chance to experience him or Suzuki Roshi. Um, but I think you raise a really important point. You know, it's always um, with great care and great respect that we reinterpret uh, some of the original seminal writings and, and uh, sutras and whatnot. But nonetheless, we have to do it in order to update them and make them meaningful for these times, right? And I think that, um, you know, this in a very big way is a lot of what Zen is going through um, uh, right now as it, as it meets the West. And, you know, certainly for myself and for the people in Great Spirit Sangha, taking up the monastic practice the way that you know it has been in the past is can be challenging and it's not even you know are there other ways in which we can do this so i think that that i always think about the with great respect and care how is it that we kind of push that line out so that you know the practice as beautifully handed down fruit to us from the ancestors um, is both revered but also updated and i think that you know your example of children is really, really important. I'm so glad to hear Coben do that. I have deep respect for parenting as a genuinely challenging and um, the ground, the true ground of practice for, for one. But so is working, right? So is riding the Muni. So is uh, uh, shopping at Safeway in the express line when somebody has you know two or three items more or five items more. <laughs> this is to me where we practice right now. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And, and although you didn't have a chance to meet Coben, uh, I'm sure you you know Angie Boisevain, who's continued yes. uh, to be my teacher since Coben passed on. And yeah. uh, and she's continued that same interpretation of, of Zen practice from, from Dogen's origin. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, now, now she's enjoying her retirement. Yeah. Uh, a, a number of people kind of... Um, started to go out on the, uh, the ledge about this. I mean, I think that Joko Beck, who I had the privilege to study with for a while in her book, Everyday Zen, tries to present so much of this in, in accessible language. Michael Wenger um, in the um, Suzuki Roshi lineage has redone koans in a very modern contemporary way. The, the um, what is that, the, the hidden lamp? Uh, edited by Florence Kaplow is also an attempt to try and make these contemporary, but um, it's an interesting it's an interesting pursuit to do that in, in writing. I guess guess we have more opportunity in the context of our lives. Thank you so much, Peter. I, I have a question, please, Cynthia. Thank you very much. So we do understand now that these Tenzos that Dogen spoke with said that the essence of their practice was to be the Tenzo and to do this uh, duty faithfully and to serve the uh, Sangha, ease and comfort in doing so. But none of them said, and by the way, I just want you to know, I really hate cooking. And I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this because the abbot assigned me to do it and I have to do it for a year and I can't wait till it ends. That didn't occur. So what would you might suggest to anyone channeling Dogen if one's faced in their life with obligations or duties that they find onerous or uh just burdensome or like for example if someone is in military service and they have a personal disagreement with what they are asked to do um, or any any other thing like that uh, how do they negotiate uh, wholehearted living you know because not everybody speaks in a buddhist language but how would you say to someone you've just got to you know, do your best. Thank you, Kodo. <laughs> um, let, me, let me start by saying that I recently went for a, a walk with a, a dear Dharma sister of mine, Ren, who was a Tenzo at San Francisco Zen Center. And she told me about how she totally hated it and it was the worst job she ever had. 
<laughs> and she's walking down the, the street from Zen Center one day and Lou uh, Hartman, uh, Blanche's husband, is walking up the street and they pause on the corner. And you can just imagine, those of you who know that corner of San Fran uh, by San Francisco Zen Center, Bren uh, looks at Lou and she says, I hate being the Tenzo, it's the worst. Don't you think it's the worst? And Lou pauses for a second and he says, yes, it's the worst. <laughs> so our more immediate ancestors might agree. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think that I don't think that it's necessarily all about, I mean, life is not all about bliss and repose, right? Um, it is, um, uh, you know, we, we follow the schedule of our life, just like we follow the schedule of Sashim. Um, if we find ourselves in a difficult situation, you know, when my, when my mom was living here and actively dying, that was the schedule of my life that I just followed. All things are conditioned. All things will ultimately um, uh, be transformed and change. Uh, and I think that for me, when I'm in these situations, that certainly helps. That's a big factor, knowing that all things are conditioned and will change. Mm. And I often thought as my mom, who was very shaky getting out of bed, I insisted on having her call me. She's on the, uh, in a room on the first floor of a three-floor townhouse. And she'd call me at like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning. And there'd always be that kind of startle and kind of ugh, and then it was, oh, I have so few nights left when I can actually be of service to my mom and, and be with my mom. So, um, so I think that that helps a lot, just as we know, oh my goodness, you know, this machine will end and I'll be able to, you know, finally turn to my digital advices and get back to Netflix and figure out the news and all of that. But I think in a deeper way, um, Kodo, uh, particularly when you bring up issues like being in military service and things like that, one has to, I think that's when precept behavior and how you practice the precept comes into it. Being a Tenzo, if you're not cooking up your ingredients with arsenic, seems to me primarily a beneficial activity, right? And that you don't have to, it really is more in the realm of let me do this as gracefully as I can. Let me stretch my practice and this too shall end. Uh, being in the military or things like that with different obligations might require, for me, I think I would go to my, my precepts and whether or not I felt that, um, that there was the, the balance of doing harm, you know, kind of outweighed whatever else, what other benefit I felt might uh, be happening in that role. And then I think you have to make um, some very serious decisions. You know, you have to, and then, and then you have to take responsibility for them. That's what our practice is. We go through the filter, just as, as Stephen was doing apologies for being self-referential referential to our uh, Sangha practice, but Stephen was taking us through the practice of, of um, creating gathas, being aware of difficult situations, uh, bringing our attention and our intention and vowing to try and find a, um, uh, a more beneficial way of dealing with difficult situations. So I think that that's kind of what we have to do. And some situations are just so much harder, complex and, and consequential than others. I did think just as an aside, it'd be fun to have Ren come to Great Spirit Sangha and talk about her practice as a Tenzo. She might completely refute our dear Dogen. <laughs> Thank you, Kodo. Well, Nico, I see it's 12.25. Um, shall we uh, conclude this? Oh, we can do that. We have a few more minutes, but we can conclude. Are okay. There any if there's another question. Final questions, anyone? Just unmute yourselves and... I don't see anyone. Morning. Good morning. Oh, hi, Rain. Rain here. Hi, Rain. Can you hear me? Hi. hi. Um, Cynthia, thank you for your talk. I, I can't see you now. I see Nico. But I just had a question. Um, is Marianne Drager your sister? Oh, no, no. That's Cynthia Ziegler. Oh, okay. okay. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Thank you. Um, You're very welcome. Curious minds want to know. Absolutely. It all belongs. There you go. Um, and chopping wood and carrying water, if I've been in and out of the stream, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to dry out my little abode. Um, my, my rooftop leaks, so I've got buckets, and uh, I am chopping wood to keep the fire going. But uh, it's pretty lovely up here in the Redwoods. Thank you for your oh, time. You're very welcome. Thank you. May all beings find shelter and uh, be safe from the rain. Hello, Cynthia. Uh, can you hear me? I yes. can. Yeah, this is my name's Hogan. I'm at Jacoji right now. Hey, Hogan. Um, hi. Uh, thank you very much for taking your time. I, I really can feel your um, uh, your optimism and your energy. It feels very good to be in the presence of that. Um, the question I have for you is: uh, you you spoke of examples in which um, say, say Dogen ran across a situation where he found that um, there was a, a moment, uh, an interaction, a moment that revealed a delusion that he had been carrying and uh, it gave him an opportunity to re-examine his assumptions. And um, I'm curious to hear uh, for yourself, uh, what, what's been a, a recent, a recent occurrence or just the first occurrence that comes to mind where you've noticed in your own attitudes or movements in the world that you were carrying a, a delusional habit and how did you recognize it and then uh, what happened? Well, thank you for that question. Allow me a moment to uh, reflect and select out of the many delusions that I have, which I think might be most pertinent, but hold on. My uh, eldest, who is um, uh, 27, uh, and her husband had uh, told uh, the entire extended family and me that, um, uh, that they were going to stop at three children. And she is now pregnant with her fourth. And I had so many ideas arise about that. Um, so many concerns, uh, so many questions, none of which I asked because it's not my business. Um, concerns which I have uh, kept quiet I realized that, that, again, that is her practice and my practice is my practice. Uh, but, I, but what I realized, Hogan, in my delusion was that I had a ton of fixed ideas that um, immediately dropped onto me. Um, some out of concern and love and some just out of my own opinions. <laughs> and as the wonderful poem the mind of absolute trust states, uh, mind of absolute trust states, just let go of all your opinions, walk away from all thinking. So what I did was I, I just let them go. And um, I'm at the ready to be, to stay in connection with her. I am in connection with her to be of service, but um, my ideas and my uh, delusional thinking about her state is, um, is not my practice. That's Working with those is my practice. <laughs> that I have to own, but the actuality of it, that's her life and I have to let it go. Does that kind of um, speak to what your question is? Thank you, yes, and I, I have a follow-up. Uh, that seems a, a lovely example of you heard a piece of news and you felt a cascade of, I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the gaps here, a cascade of uh, maybe some uh, Fixed views, you use that term, maybe some things that you realize were judgments about uh, a person's behavior or choices. But um, that was an instance in which there was like a little watershed moment where something tipped over and something was crashing down. Can you think of an example where maybe uh, over the long haul you had a chronic, like a chronic thing digging at your awareness, something that was bothering you for a long time, 
um, and to keep coming back to it. Like there's, there's, there's no big watershed moment where you all of a sudden see everything so clearly, but a gradual unve mm -hmm. unveiling. Can you think of an example like that? Bear with me. Yeah, uh, and and for me, I think that that um, you know it it's not a single epiphany, but as you say, many watershed moments. But I think implicit in this example that I just gave you is one of the biggest delusions I deal with is that I have some control. <laughs> I have control over external events. I have no control except over how I choose to respond, right? Uh, just like human, what is the practice of a lifetime, an appropriate response? So I am always butting heads with the urge, the desire, the delusion that I can exert some sort of control. Now, hopefully there's a sense of it being beneficial control, but nonetheless, control is just not going to work. I think that's, for the personality type that I am, I think that's one of the most persistent um, delusions that I have dealt with. And I have gotten to see my, myself in those moments repeatedly. And they have taken you know, a long, long time and a lot of repetition to get to a point where I can actually exercise one restraint, well, one awareness, two restraint, and then three, when I'm really lucky, turn it around so that I cultivate a really positive, beneficial, and hopefully an appropriate response in the moment. Thank you. Thank That's you. very clear. One final question is, uh, where do you sit in the birth order in, in, your, in your parents? Firstborn, <laughs> middle, last born, only child? <laughs> Now I'm starting to feel like we're doing some speed dating, Hogan. <laughs> lovely, lovely. <laughs> just, just teasing. Um, actually, from my own perspective, I think I have all three of them covered. Um, I was the youngest for uh, seven years, uh, the youngest girl. And then after seven years, my uh, two younger sisters were born. And I was the oldest of the girls, but in the larger scheme of things, I was the middle child. So, you know, I don't want to flaunt my ability to, you know, <laughs> have, have such an expansive um, practice in this regard. But, uh, but if I were to answer just factually, I'd say the middle child. Well, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> indulging that last personal question. <laughs> Well, now, of course, I'm wildly curious as to why you have asked this question and what it means, but I'm going to let go of my control. I'm going to turn it over. I'm just going to let that moment be and see how my mind nags at it. And I might be getting your email to follow up. <laughs> Who knows? Thank you so very much, Hogan. Um, thank you all at Jikoji. We so, we so delight in being with you, even if it is through this crazy Zoom. And uh, we really look forward to being able to be with you in person and always appreciate your generosity. So thank you, thank you kindly. And I'll turn it back to you, Nico, for concluding. Yes, thank you, Cynthia, for being with us. You are on the books for later this fall and let's hope it is, uh, that, that it can happen. Hogan, I'm going to turn it over to you for the closing thing. Okay. And this podcast is offered by Jokoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you.